Evan show. Thank you very much for tuning again this week. It means so much to me to have all of you guys listening and it's just been really awesome. I'm I'm super excited about this episode. I'm excited about this podcast and all the energy everyone's bringing to it, which has just been overwhelming and great. So thank you guys so much. Uh, once again, if you haven't already, please go ahead and drop a review or a rating. Uh, five star if you don't mind. Uh, it means a lot to me and it is also a great way to help other people find this podcast and find this information. So uh, if you wouldn't mind doing it, that would be great, as well as please subscribe on whichever platform you are listening on. Uh, So thank you guys very much for that. And uh, before we get into this, just wanted to check in with everybody, uh, see how everyone's week is going. I don't know about you guys, but this last week has been pretty crazy for me personally. Uh, Yeah, a lot of back and forth. For me and uh, yeah so back and forth being back to the parents house to help out with my dad who is actually moving houses right now and uh, also helping him with his business a little bit just because the times are so hectic um, and yeah it's just been crazy a lot of driving a lot of back and forth uh, from where I live in LA it's about an hour and a half drive and that's without traffic and I'm usually timing it pretty well but yeah with traffic it can be much much worse uh, yeah so needless to say it's just been a lot of stress this week I would say for me especially between the podcast and my own health coaching work and then between helping my dad with his business and moving it's just been crazy so uh, kind of to slide into the topic of this um you know one of the methods that i really use for stress and it's my go-to 100 percent um i will literally do this midday if i really feel it's necessary uh it could even be in a bathroom that i do this and don't let your minds wander this is just breathing okay that's all i'm talking about here um but yeah literally if i'm if i am really stressed out i have found that the best practice for me personally that is the most quick acting is just my breath. Um, so literally there's times where I've been just in a super, super stressful day and felt like I couldn't get away from anything. So I just take a quick bathroom break and go take some deep breaths, uh, which I will cover how to use a method of breathing to deal with stress, uh, later on in this podcast. But yeah, I just thought I'd share that with all of you. Um, just check in with everybody and see how their week has been going. Uh, but anyways, let's, uh, let's jump into this episode. So this one, I am super, super pumped. This is literally something I do. Well, everybody does this every single day, but I actually practice breath work every single day. And so that is the topic. It's breath work. So title of this episode is breath, the energy of life. And that is a very literal meaning, uh, for the episode. So first off, Let's just kick this off with a very interesting fact. So, it is estimated that you will roughly breathe around 670 million breaths 
in your lifetime. Kind of weird to put a number on how many breaths you have in a year. That's it's super odd. Um, so actually this book that I was reading and I'm going to reference it a ton throughout this episode. Um, he actually talks about your life in breaths as well as how long it, how many breaths you would take by the time you finish that book approximately. I don't know. It was really odd to calculate life and time in breaths, which is kind of weird, but really interesting as well at the same time. So anyways, um, that's going to lead me into the book. So the book that I'm going to reference largely in this episode is going to be Breath, The Science of the Lost Art by James Nestor. This book is insane. It is one of the coolest books I've read. I highly, highly, highly recommend it for everybody to read. It is just such an interesting book. I'm going to cover a lot of the topics here, although the depth of it will be nothing of what you would get if you actually went through the book itself. So on that note, I am going to first off start off by explaining how do we breathe? So this is very interesting and this is actually something that I learned through my yoga practice because um, there, in yoga there is a portion of yoga exercises, if you want to call it, that we do, which is called pranayama, and that is uh, breath work, basically. So it's different forms of breathing meant for different uh, feelings and sensations or activating different things in your body. So when you breathe, what happens is there is a constant pressure from the atmosphere right now on our bodies. Now, when you want to inhale, what ends up happening is your diaphragm expands and opens, creating a low pressure area in your lungs, allowing the pressure from the atmosphere to fill your lungs up with air. And from that point, your body will then go ahead and receive the oxygen out of that air and transport it to the body uh, wherever it's needed. And then upon exhaling, your diaphragm is going to contract and it's going to push those lungs and create an area of high pressure, which is going to push the air from your lungs out into the atmosphere because now the pressure in your lungs is higher than that of the atmosphere surrounding your body. And thus you have a full cycle of breath. So uh, the first time I heard that, that was really kind of mind blowing for me. I never thought of breath like that, but duh, I mean, that's how it works. Obviously, I mean, how else would you, you aren't actually really sucking in anything. I mean, it's more so just creating a little bit of uh, just space in your body and allowing that low pressure to equalize with the atmospheric pressure outside of you. So really interesting. And I'm happy I was able to share that with all of you. I like sharing that in any breathwork class that I do with anybody. It's, it's a pretty mind blowing thing to kind of wrap your head around at first. Uh, and so also on that note, um, here, well, okay, so in English, we have the word breath, and we also have the word energy. So it's two different words and two different meanings, right? However, in a lot of different languages, especially older languages, uh, they have only one word for the two. So for example, in Sanskrit, you have the word prana. So when I'm doing my breathwork practice, it's called pranayama. Prana 
is synonymous with both breath and energy. It actually can mean the same thing. Uh, as well in Chinese, at least according to the readings I've done, uh, qi is also both your energy and your breath. And supposedly there are many other languages that have this uh, same thing going on in their languages. So that's very interesting to think about because truly your breath is energy. I mean, even just think about when you're out running a long distance or doing sprints or any kind of physical exercise, what's going to happen? Your breathing is going to increase. You're going to start breathing faster and harder, trying to get more air into your lungs because it's feeding your body energy, correct? Uh, as well as many other things. That's not the only thing that breath is doing. I need to uh, throw that out there. But uh, in general, we have two forms of energy. Uh, they're mainly made up of air and food. And with, so the two different ones, uh, two different forms of energy, you have one that's with oxygen. That process is called aerobic respiration. And then you also have one without it, and that's called anaerobic respiration. So anaerobic respiration is generated with glucose, and it's uh, like a quicker, easier form of energy that your body can access. However, it's meant as a backup system and also kind of like a turbo boost uh, when the body doesn't have enough oxygen to uh, match the amount of exercise that you're doing. So uh, this is actually an inefficient form of energy, but it's necessary when, uh, let's say you just start out a workout and it's kind of kicking your butt right there in the beginning. That's because you have gone from a resting state to a very active state and now your body is trying to catch up with your breath to match the level of exercise that you're doing. And in order to do so, it allows this anaerobic form of energy to take place uh, so you're able to meet the demands of the exercise. Um, however, when we run our cells aerobically, so not anaerobically, this one is now with, with oxygen, uh, we gain some 16 times more energy efficiency over anaerobic. So way more efficient and effective uh, form of energy here. Now, staying in the aerobic zone, so the one with oxygen, is actually key for your exercises as well as life um, because this is a cleaner form of energy that doesn't take such a toll on the body. Whereas anaerobic, for example, if you were to exercise and be in your anaerobic state for an extended period of time, this can lead to excessive lactic acid buildup, nausea, muscle weakness, and kind of that feeling of uh, like shakiness and, and just really, really exhausted and spent when you come out of an exercise or the gym or something. Uh, that, that typically means you were probably in an anaerobic state of uh, respiration, um, which is not a terrible thing, but at the same time, uh, as far as recovery of the body goes and really just having a cleaner form of energy, you really do want to stay in your aerobic uh, form of respiration and energy. So uh, that's really key to when you're working out to really kind of try to focus on that. Now, not to say getting into that anaerobic state isn't good as well, because uh, I'm sure that also has its benefits, you know, and, and uh, when, when you start out to exercise, you're naturally going to use some of that energy and that respiration which is totally fine. Um, however, we do wanna shoot for staying in the aerobic uh, respiration area. So 
maybe now you're thinking, okay, well, how the heck am I going to know uh, if I'm in a aerobic burning state or anaerobic? And that's a great question. Uh, so per the book that I referenced, Breathe or Breath, The Science of the Lost Art, um, he states that there was a study done that found if you take the number 180 and you subtracted your age from it, then the result you get would be the maximum your body can withstand to stay in the aerobic state. Now, sorry, let me rephrase that. So the 180, when you subtract the number, so let's say for me example, I'm 27, okay? So that means I would be at 153, if my math is correct. I hope it is, I'm not a mathematician, but I think I got that right. Uh, okay, so at 153, that would be my uh, heart rate that I would be shooting for. So how many beats per minute? So I would wanna be somewhere, uh, well actually that would be my maximum. I wouldn't really wanna exceed 153 for a long period of time. I would wanna keep it around that area to really just kinda have the most efficient workout as well as coming out of the workout not having such a long recovery time uh, because I wasn't expending myself so much. So yeah, really interesting. I didn't know that, but it's really cool to know that your breath is literally your energy. Um, sorry to geek out on everyone, but if anyone here watches Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, actually the first episode, Uncle Iroh tells Zuko that firebending literally comes from the breath because your breath is your energy. So sorry, that show is amazing and they put so many little drops of knowledge in there. It's incredible. Uh, go watch it if you haven't. Anyways, we'll continue. Now, on that note of breathing, we have a serious, serious issue with people mouth breathing. It's a huge problem going on right now and it's just become kind of the norm for a lot of people. And for a lot of people, I understand why they are mouth breathing because they might have serious congestion of the nose or allergies or, you know, fill in the blank. There can be so many different reasons why we're breathing out of our mouths. However, we should be breathing through our noses. It is actually very critical that we do breathe through our noses. Now, the reason for this is, is because when we were developing as humans, okay, our brains were growing very largely compared to our other ancestors or relatives, if you would like. And what happened was, as our brain was growing, we had to find space for the nasal concha, the, basically where the air was coming in through our nose, so we created this protuberance coming off of our face, which is the nose. And uh, basically it was to accommodate for the growing size of our brain. However, as I had explained or mentioned, uh, we have a nasal concha that is literally pretty much the size of a pool ball. So like a billiard ball right behind kind of like your eye, like right in between your eyes, just above your nose, in your head. You have a si something the size of a pool ball right there and it's called your nasal concha. And what the, that does is when, it, when you breathe through your nose, you are filtering, purifying, and warming up the air that's entering your body so that it's more easily absorbed and used by the body. It's, it's actually preparing it for the body. When you breathe through your nose, none of that is happening. 
And on that note, we wouldn't have a nasal concha for no reason. I mean, there, <laughs> it's there for it's a specific reason, uh, and that is to be used to breathe through. Now, on that note, people who do breathe through their mouth, what's happening is you are not putting enough strain on the muscles in the back of the throat and therefore they are actually becoming flabbier and just you know they're just not being used it's i mean think of any muscle if you don't exercise a muscle it's going to atrophy uh, it's going to lose its muscle so when you breathe through your mouth you're literally kind of atrophying the the muscles in the back of your throat which makes it even more difficult to breathe through your nose but when you do breathe through your nose you are forcing air against the flabby tissues at the back of the throat, making the airways wider and easier to breathe through, which will eventually tone those muscles and the, and the tissues to stay open and wide in that position, making it easier to breathe through your nose long-term. So therefore, nasal breathing begets better nasal breathing, whereas mouth breathing begets more mouth breathing. So... Uh, it's very difficult at first for people who are large mouth breathers to transition, but you do need to start making that transition. So basically it may be difficult to start that transition, but it's very, very critical for you to do that. And I will get into more of that, uh, later on as to why it's so important to breathe through your nose and not your mouth. Um, and it has something to do with sleep. I'll leave it at that. Now, uh, really quickly, there is an ancient Chinese text called the Tao, T-A-O, and it stated that the breath inhaled through the mouth is called, sorry, I'm probably saying this wrong, but Ni Qi, which means adverse breath, which is extremely harmful. This was stated in a text far, far back. Uh, and on that note, I have a few examples here of uh, ancient texts stating breath, basically, as a practice. Which, before I even delve into all that, we have the Vedas, which are thousands of years old, found from India. And they are different texts um, regarding yoga and the religion uh, and just, yeah, a bunch of different historical writings. And in those texts, there are writings on breath work, which is super interesting to hear because that means we've been doing breath work practices for such a long time now. Uh, there's actually even carvings in Egypt that show of people diving underwater with um, some skin of an animal, maybe a lamb or something. And it's, it's sewed up on the ends. And what they do is they fill it up with air, they dive, and they use it as kind of like a scuba tank where they'll take uh, sips of the air out of this uh, skin sack, basically, a, a leather sack, you know, and uh, which is really crazy. I mean, we're talking thousands of years ago that people were doing this. Okay, so continuing on to texts, uh, ancient texts that uh, refer to breath. So we have the Shiva Swarodaya, which is a tantric text. Uh, also from India, explained explaining how each nostril, when open and closed throughout the day, keeps our bodies balanced and in rhythm with the earth and the cosmos. Okay, and I'm going to get a little bit more into the different channels uh, in a little bit, but just pretty interesting. Uh, we also have from 1500 BC, 
the Ebers Papyrus, which is one of the oldest medical texts ever discovered and describes how nostrils were supposed to feed air to the heart and lungs, not the mouth. So once again, something really hitting home that you are meant to be breathing through your nose, not your mouth. Even though you can breathe through your mouth, you should be breathing through your nose. And this was known even, you know, at 1500 BC. So uh, there's that. There's also in Genesis 2-7, which says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. He didn't breathe into the mouth. He breathed into the nostrils, right? It's all in, all in the key words there. Um, continuing on, so then we have a Chinese Taoist text from the 8th century AD. Sorry, yeah, AD. Uh, noted that the nose was the heavenly door and that breath must be taken through it. Never do otherwise, warned the text, for breath would be in danger and illness would set in. So, a lot of ancient texts all pointing to the same thing. Breathe through your nose. Just just do it. Breathe through your nose. If you're having trouble doing it, start doing it because it's a you have to condition your body and your nose and your throat and your nasal concha to get better at it. It's going to be hard at first, like I said if you're a mouth breather, but you have to start doing that to train those muscles to develop and tone and making it easier for you to breathe down the road. Okay. Now, as I had kind of mentioned earlier, there was a uh, tantric text called the Shiva Swarodaya, and it mentioned uh, the two different nostrils. Now, a lot of people don't think about this. I, I'm included in this group. But have you ever noticed that throughout the day, one nostril kind of closes up and the other one is open and then it switches throughout the day and it kind of does this on and off? Uh, well, there's actually a reason for it. So first off, you actually have erectile tissue in your nose, in each nostril. And at certain parts of the day, one of those nostrils will engorge with blood in the erectile tissue, making it slightly more difficult for you to breathe, allowing more air to flow through the opposing nostril. Uh, and the reason for this is, is because each nostril has a specific um, function, if you would say. So, starting with the night, right nostril, which this in uh, yogic terms, this would be the pingala channel, okay? And this is referred to as the gas pedal. So this, when you're left nostril is more closed and your right nostril is more open, this is going to speed up circulation in the body, or sorry, of course in the body, it's gonna speed up circulation, the body is going to get hotter, cortisol, cortisol levels will rise, blood pressure rises, and so does the heart rate. This is the, kind of like the awake and alert state. So this is something that you would want happening in the morning. And if you wake up in the morning and the first thing you notice is that your left nostril is more open, for example, don't be freaked out or anything. It's just that, you know, you've just woken up and you were in a restful state. So it would make sense that your left nostril would be more open. Uh, however, though, progressively throughout the morning, your right nostril will probably start to open up because that is going to be the thing that's going to start triggering the wake up process in your body. Uh, so then now onto the other side, 
oh, sorry. And then on that note, when you are breathing through the right nostril, uh, you are also stimulating the left side of the brain. Whereas, um, uh, and I believe that's more, I think that's the logical side, but we're going to get into something to explain that a little more. But anyways, and then the left side uh, is going to affect the right side of the brain. So anyways, uh, so the left nostril, which in um, yogic or Sanskrit terms is the Ida, I-D-A channel. Uh, and so this is the opposite. This is like if the right nostril is the gas pedal, the left nostril is the brake. So it's deeply connected to your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and relax state. Um, so this is going to like lower your your body temperature, your blood pressure, uh, your body will be cooled. It's, it's got a cooling effect to it and it will also reduce your anxiety. Um, and then, like I said, it's going to also start to uh, trigger the other side of the brain, which is, I believe, the creative side of the brain. Okay, so on that note, this is a really, really interesting, crazy study. And once again, this is from the book, um, Breath, The Science of the Lost Art. And in 2015, researchers at the University of California, San Diego, shout out San Diego, where, where my San Diego people at, uh, recorded the breathing patterns of a schizophrenic woman over the course of three consecutive years. They found that she had significantly greater left nostril dominance, which was likely overstimulating the right side or, as we explained, the creative part of her brain and allowing her imagination to run amok. That's crazy. So this woman who was dealing with schizophrenia was primarily breathing through the right, uh, sorry, through the left nostril, stimulating the right side of the brain primarily, which is associated with creativity. Well, over several sessions, these researchers went ahead and taught her to breathe through the opposite nostril, or AKA the logical nostril, so that'd be the right nostril now. Um, and when she did that, she experienced far fewer hallucinations just by changing the nostril she's breathing out of. That is super wild. I mean, that is amazing, amazing stuff. Just by changing the nostril we're breathing through. That's how powerful this breath really is. And that's what's also crazy is you're breathing all day long. It's one of those things that will naturally happen. You literally need to pay zero mind to it, or you can tune into it and completely control your breath. I mean, to an extent, obviously. Uh, and it really has these amazing changes in the body. So, uh, and what's actually even more interesting about this is that in yoga, um, we practice a breathing technique, which is literally meant to hack the nostril breathing, uh, you know, which, which nostril we're breathing through. And uh, this form of pranayama or breath work is actually called nadi shodhana, which in Sanskrit, if you break this down, nadi means channel, while shodhana means purification. So it's like you're purifying your channels, you're opening them up. And uh, this is a really uh, a good practice. This is actually something I do in the morning every single day usually, uh, along with a few other practices. Um, which by the way, uh, that Nadi Shodhana in English would be referred to as 
alternate nostril breathing. Uh, you might have heard that one before. Uh, but anyways, so now, continuing on a little bit. So you, if you've done yoga before or if you're in the medical field or just maybe you follow health stuff like this podcast, uh, you've probably heard of the vagus nerve. So what is the vagus nerve? The vagus nerve is a meandering network within the system that connects to all the major internal organs. It's what turns organs on and off in response to stress. So this nerve is connected to every single major organ in your body. And it has the ability to both turn on and turn off those organs depending on the level of stress that you are receiving. This is kind of mind-blowing. I mean, this is so incredible. Um, what's even more incredible about this is actually, you know how some animals like lizards or even, <laughs> think of like a mouse in a, in a, a cat's mouth, you know? Um, they can play dead. But what's amazing is that humans actually are able to do the same thing, which is call it something different, fainting, right? So the body is actually able to faint and quote unquote play dead. So some people who have maybe high levels of stress or maybe just an issue with their vagus nerve or a really tightly wound up vagus nerve that needs to be opened and stretched out, um, they are actually much more likely to faint when dealing with maybe something as simple as bad news or a spider or something like that. Now, this isn't very common. We also don't get super, super stimulated by life-threatening uh, things every single day. At least most of us don't. Um, but we are still under a constant. <laughs> it's, it's like we gave up the high stress of running from a cheetah or a lion, and now we have this just monotonous, continuous stress of daily life and paying bills. Um, I'm sure everyone can relate to that one. But anyways, what's really amazing is that when you breathe, you are able to consciously control your kind of your vagus nerve in a way. You're able to directly affect it. So as we know, breathing is an autonomic function, function um, but it's one that we can consciously control. And choosing to do something such as breathing slowly will allow for better communication along the vagal network. And this is gonna actually help us to relax and move into that parasympathetic state. It's really amazing. You can, so literally just by taking a few deep breaths and slow opening up the belly as you breathe. So when you're taking in that inhale, fully inhale and expand your belly out when you do it. it might be a little weird at first but go ahead and try that and then go ahead and do a full exhale and just do that a couple times and when you do that it's going to directly trigger trigger that vagus nerve and a lot of times when i am feeling stress that is actually the breathing technique i will do is i will just go and i will do an inhale to the count of five filling my belly, like pushing my belly out as I inhale, and then exhaling, contracting that belly in and pushing the air fully out to the count of five as well. So it's five in, maybe hold for a second, and then five out, hold for a second. And then just repeat that 
go through it as many times as you feel is necessary. I usually find myself doing about 10 um, before I'm really in just a very calm state. Now, on the contrary to that, we can also breathe really fast and hard, which is going to push our body into a stressed state, which can allow us to access the autonomic nervous system and actually control it to a degree. So what's really amazing is that for literally, I, I don't even know, but probably thousands of years, monks in the Himalayas have been able to directly control their kind of their autonomic nervous system. They're able to tap in to this primal uh, source, their nervous system, really, and there is literally videos of monks where they go on what's called a retreat. This is when they're um, they're kind of going through their training to become a monk. And when they go up into the Himalayas, they go up there with these thin, thin cloth pants or shorts, but like maybe sandals or maybe just no shoes at all, and typically without a top on. And they'll go and they'll sit down in the snow in the Himalayas, and they have a bowl filled with water. And they take a sheet, like think of like a bed sheet, and they just soak it. They dip it in this water. They get it completely soaked. And then they throw it over the monk. So each monk has one of these on them. And then they go through this process of a breath, a breath technique. And as they do this breathing technique, they start to heat up their body. They start triggering something. They control their nervous system directly. And they tell it to switch on and to start warming up the body. And what what's crazy is that they actually have to heat up. They have to actually, they have to dry out that sheet like 10 times or something around there. Yeah, so once they have it on there and they're doing these breath techniques, heating up their body and then drying out that sheet, they then take that bad boy, dip it back in the water and sling it back on them and repeat this process over and over and over. This is obviously they're on their way to mastery and they're learn, you know, they're they're mastering this breathing technique. But at, uh, at least what was taught to me by my my yoga teacher uh, out, out when I did my teacher training, he explained that at that time, having warm clothing, it was possible, but it wasn't always something that you had readily accessible. So people decided to stop relying on their outside resources to keep them comfortable and rather go inside and trigger something within to adapt to their surrounding environment. And so that's where this came from kind of is, is the ability um, to really tap into that primal nervous system and activate it. Uh, now, if you're kind of thinking like, oh, this is a little woo-woo or far-fetched or something, it's really, really not. Um, so there's a guy that many of you have probably heard of. Uh, his, his name is, uh, he's the Iceman or Wim Hof. And he's very well known for doing this breathing technique and going and hiking snowy mountains and in literally just shorts and shoes and completely fine. He holds the uh, record for how much time he can spend in ice water. It was, I think it was just under two hours. I don't know. I could be wrong on that, but it's, it, that's ballpark for sure. And uh, while he sat in that water, he was able to maintain uh, a core body temperature of, I, I think it, maybe it dropped a degree or two. No, I don't even think it dropped that much. It was like really right around just a person who's sitting in a normal room, temperature room. 
Uh, so really incredible stuff. He was able to prove this. And as well, he was put through a study where they injected him with, I think, a few different diseases and illnesses. And, and some of them were as simple as, I think, just the common cold. And as they were injecting him with this, he started going through his breathing technique and trying to activate his nervous system. And he actually fought off all the diseases and illnesses that were given to him via an IV. And if you don't believe me, go check it out. I'll try to find the study and I will uh, link it in the show notes. But this is no frills, real deal stuff. He actually did this. It was incredible. And scientists were kind of thinking like, okay, well, you know what? He might just be kind of an anomaly. Well, he went ahead and uh, got some students. I think it was like 16 different students. And he taught them his techniques. And then they went through the same process. And as well, they fought off all of the diseases that were being given to them. So really powerful stuff. Um, there's also a, uh, a, a yogic, uh, a yogi, I can't remember his name. I think it's Swami something. And he as well was one of the first monks to be studied uh, or first yogis to be studied uh, doing these kind of practices and techniques and he would do things where he would slow his heart rate to crazy low levels and then he would speed his heart rate up to crazy high levels where people actually thought his heart stopped but it was just that their monitors weren't able to actually track the beat per minute that this guy was having in his heart and he was doing it on on cue people he, he would tell them when he was going to do it he was also able to within the same hand heat one part of the hand up and drop the temperature of the other part of his hand to where they were able to test the temperatures and see a noticeable increase in one part of his hand and a noticeable decrease in the other part. Really, really crazy powerful stuff. Amazing. Okay, so now before I conclude this uh, episode up, I also wanted to just kind of explain uh, why the mouth breathing is bad. And so the author, James Nestor of the book, he actually went through a 20-day experiment that was conducted by Stanford. And what it was is that for 10 days, they plugged up his nose and made it so that he was only able to breathe out of his mouth. And he had to go like that for 10 full consecutive days. Then after those 10 consecutive days, he was able to remove the, uh, the nasal blockages and then he was forced to only breathe through his nose and not out of his mouth, which I believe they didn't do anything to his mouth during the day, if I'm not mistaken, uh, but at nighttime, I believe he did put some tape on his mouth, which is also another thing. People do uh, mouth taping because it, it improves your sleep quality. Okay, so on that note, um, James Nestor, in the first day of having the nasal blockages put in, when he went to sleep that night, he had an increase of 1,300% in his amount of snoring with a fourfold increase in sleep apnea events just in 24 hours. So that's just one day of mouth breathing and then going into that night and mouth breathing throughout the night. That was the result. Okay. On the last day of that, so day 10, uh, he went ahead and went to bed, you know, on day 10 and still had his nasal passages obstructed. 
and he found that he had an increase in his snoring by 4,820% as compared to when he, before he started the experiment. Um, on that note, he averaged 25 apnea events on one of the worst nights while he was sleeping. Now, for those of you who don't really know what like sleep apnea is or what that even means, it basically means that he was choking so badly that his oxygen levels dropped below 85%. Now, when oxygen falls below 90%, the blood can't carry enough oxygen to support body tissues, uh, and yeah, I mean body tissue. So literally the whole body. Um, and if this goes on too long, it can literally lead to heart failure, uh, depression, memory problems, uh, even early death. So it's no joke. It's, it's a very serious, serious issue. And a lot of people deal with sleep apnea. Now, one thing you can start doing today to help fix your sleep apnea, and there's a lot of things that may be the cause and culprit and something you need to address, but one of the big ones is just learning to breathe through your nose. Really focus every single day on breathing through your nose the whole day, and then when you go to night, feel free to take a tiny piece of tape and just put it right on your lips, just a little piece of scotch tape, just enough to cover both of the lips, and that will help to keep your mouth closed throughout the night and allow your body to uh, just breathe through your nose. Uh, this is huge because a lot of uh, different functions happen when you're breathing through your nose at night. First off, it allows you to actually access your deep sleep stages, which are extremely, extremely important. So if you are breathing out of your mouth, you are for sure getting less efficient sleep than you would receive if you breathe through your uh, through your nose. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of information. I really absolutely love this topic. This is like one of the coolest things for me. Um, actually, even with yoga, uh, I practice asana pretty often. Uh, so you know, like holding static poses or whatever. Um, but I really practice um, pranayama or breath work and meditation every single day. That's uh, that's a non-negotiable. If it's not every single day, it's at least five days a week. I try to do this all the time, every single day. It makes the biggest difference for me. Um, even my meditations are super, are just so much deeper when I do my breath work before because once again, prana is energy. And so they say when you do your breath work, it actually directly affects your energetic levels, which I can attest to because I definitely have experienced much deeper meditations when I do my breath work as opposed to if I just tried to sit down and do meditation. So yeah, breath work is incredible. I hope all of you give this a try. Please, if you do, uh, don't be driving your car. Don't be doing something physically demanding. Go ahead and take a seat, lie down, do something of the sort. Just make sure you're in a... Make sure you're in a stable area that's not moving. And once again, don't also do this standing. I mean, you can, but uh, in case you are apt to faint, then make sure you're sitting down. Uh, with that said, I have never fainted from doing any breath work, but you know, gotta give the, gotta give the lowdown. So anyways, uh, yeah, go ahead and try the five count breathing. 
Um, it's a very simple one, very easy, but very effective. There's also uh, boxed breathing, which is also good for stress management, which is where you pick a number, say four or five, and all you do is you inhale for, let's say five, you hold that breath for five, and then you exhale to the count of five, and then you hold to the count of five. And that's called box breathing. You just would keep repeating that. Um, there are a lot of other breath works, but honestly, they are going to be too difficult for me to explain over a podcast. The best way to do any kind of breath work is to find a teacher, 100%, um, at least in the beginning. Because if you don't know the techniques of, uh, of breathing, uh, the different breath techniques, the different pranayama techniques, then it's going to be very difficult for you to um, start doing it on your own. You might be able to find some good YouTube videos, but realistically, it's best to find a teacher, have them show you the proper technique of how to do each one and what it's good for, you know, ask questions, and then uh, maybe see them a few more times. And once you have the grasp of it and you feel that you have a good daily practice, then you can just start to do it on your own. Um, on that note, I did say that breath work is one of my favorite things to do. It is also one of the things I teach the most to people. So if you are interested in trying some breath work, feel free to reach out to me. I would be happy to teach a private to you uh, and give you my knowledge on a deeper level of the different pranayama techniques I do, like I said, pretty much daily. Um, and I would love to introduce it to you because it has made a world of a difference to me and I know it can make a world of a difference for everyone uh, even if it's just managing stress so yeah feel free to reach out to me on that as well if you guys enjoyed the last podcast and you were curious about trying the elimination diet please also feel free to reach out to me on that as well I do health coaching and I have walked people through the elimination diet before and it is extremely effective on that note, I am on day two. I'm going strong. Ashley's going strong. We've been eating super good food <laughs> that is super tasty, but also very different to not have some bread on the side or, you know, kind of going out and ordering a smoothie or something and having to really think like, okay, hold on. Did they put milk in that? Or did they put soy in there? Which by the way, soy is in so much stuff. It's crazy. If you ever look at the back of a ingredient list, you're going to be amazed. Soy is in so many different things. Um, but yeah, it's been really good. It's going very well already. My gut has been feeling great. Uh, my energy levels are super solid and I'm just feeling overall very good uh, like a good good energy level and, and I'm enjoying it. So looking forward to the next, uh, basically 28 days now. Yeah. So on day two. Um, all right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning into this podcast. Uh, your support seriously is super, super meaningful. So thank you all very much. And I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you got a lot out of it. And I hope you guys are able to integrate some breath work into your life. It's crazy impactful. Thank you guys. I love all of you. I send you my love. I send you my good intentions and my gratitude. And I thank you guys very, very much. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Peace. This podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. Statements and views expressed on this show are not medical advice, 
This podcast, including Evan Roberts, disclaims responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained in this episode. If you think you have a medical problem, please consult a medical professional.